I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Economist. From The Economist in London, this is Money Talks, a weekly program about news in the worlds of business, finance and economics. I'm Philip Coggan, the Buttonwood columnist. On today's show, we'll discuss how bankers can use the technology behind Bitcoin, so-called blockchain. With me to discuss this is Ludwig Siegler, our technology editor, and Ben Louis, who writes for us about financial infrastructure. So Ludwig, let's start with you. What is blockchain? That is a very difficult question, and I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to answer that in two sentences. But what you have to think about is kind of the blockchain is a type of database. Usually those databases are controlled by one person, a company, or you can have your spreadsheet on your computer and you control what's in there. And the blockchain is basically a database that is maintained and updated by all its users collectively. So they have a, uh, have a mechanism to agree how to update the blockchain, and then they kind of bake it into this database, and it cannot be changed. And the advantage of that, then, is it's very difficult to hack, right? It is very difficult to hack. I mean, it's probably not impossible, but it's immutable. You need a lot, lots of, uh, at least in the case of Bitcoin, the Bitcoin blockchain, you need lots of computing power to change it, to rewrite financial history. The way that bankers are interested in it is really separate from Bitcoin. Bitcoin was this kind of visionary uh, libertarian creation of a global currency. People are interested in blockchain quite separately from Bitcoin as a concept. That is correct. So first there was the Bitcoin hype and that was kind of a currency created in competition with kind of conventional finance. So it's used a lot of legit uh, uses, but also by drug dealers. And so they they didn't want to touch this. Bankers didn't like Bitcoin. But after a while, they discovered that actually the technology, the blockchain I just described, is quite an interesting uh, innovation for them. And so they kind of got enamored with the blockchain. They almost fall in love with it for many reasons. One reason is that they needed to, they needed to show that they're innovative. They uh, saw the technology could help them with a lot of problems in banking, for example. If you use a blockchain rather than kind of uh, traditional IT systems, share a ledger, share a database, things like settlement go much faster. They don't have to wait days for money to come in when they sell an equity or what have you. So why haven't we adopted it already? That's a very good question because the finance industry in particular, I think, has a structural problem of coming up with kind of collective or standard solutions, having governance to find common technologies. Because a lot of things you could do with today's technology, they could share a database, a traditional database, and do much of what they hope to do with, with a blockchain. But it's just an industry where innovation has a priority over standards, where people want to move fast. They don't kind of, the back office is not very interested. It's very front office driven, meaning selling stuff to customers, uh, innovating new financial products. And so the infrastructure for that has always been an afterthought. And that is changing cost pressures, regulation. Think people are getting really upset about it. And so there's the fear within banks to be disrupted by fintech companies, startups kind of coming up with new, modern, easier to use, cheaper financial services. And so the blockchain is also a way for them to show that they too, banks too, can innovate and kind of hold back these startups. Can blockchain handle the capacity 
that the modern payment system needs to process. The Bitcoin blockchain only can handle like seven transactions per second. And that compares to several thousand for conventional payment systems like Visa. But that is a, uh, uh, let's say, a technical issue which probably can be solved relatively easily if you put enough resources into it. A much more difficult problem is kind of confidentiality. So if banks share a ledger, they, of course, do not want their competitors to see what their trading strategies are, what they're buying, what they're selling. And so kind of the encryption technologies to solve that, kind of to have the right balance between transparency and and, and confidentiality still have to be invented. And Ben, that brings you in. Regulators have a kind of double-edged approach to this. In, on the one hand, it would be terribly useful. On the other hand, if blockchain operated in a Bitcoin-like fashion and allowed people to do cross-border deals anonymously, it would make the 500 euro note problem seem like a bagatelle. So how do you think central banks are approaching this? Well, central banks are very interested in the blockchain because they think it could facilitate a digital currency which could perhaps replace cash. That would have a whole range of advantages for the central banks. Most obviously, a digital currency would be cheaper to implement than printing and distributing notes. It would also presumably be more difficult to forge, although the consequences of hacking the blockchain were it to be the national currency, would be catastrophic. Um, Less obviously, it would make money much easier to trace. Governments and regulators would have a whole whole range of interests in that. It would make money laundering, tax avoidance and shady transactions more difficult. Some countries might even want to use it to track what dissidents do with their money. But would it though? I mean, Bitcoin doesn't allow that at the moment. So you've got a tension, haven't you, between the pioneers of the industry who like the anonymity and the regulators who like the technology but don't want the anonymity. When central bankers dream of electric sheets, they don't think of Bitcoin. They think of a digital currency which they themselves control. Digital currency, though it isn't made of paper, leaves more of a paper trail than the physical variety. You can track where it goes, you can track who spends what, you can track when it goes abroad. The current Bitcoin and its underlying blockchain is anonymous, but any viable digital currency we would see would most certainly not be. And there's another advantage for central bankers, isn't there, that with the current fashion for negative interest rates, there may be a point at which you go too far down the negative route and people do take their money out of the bank and put it under the mattress. But with a digital currency, you could enforce negative rates on everyone. That's absolutely right. When central bankers speculate as to what a digital currency could look like 20 years in the future they invariably think about it replacing cash completely. If you abolished digital currency and instead gave everyone a digital account at the central bank, you could cut interest rates well below zero because there'd be no risk of them withdrawing their money. They'd have no alternative. It would also make helicopter money drops much easier. It's far easier to add digits to people's bank accounts than it is to distribute banknotes to them. That's all for this week. Thank you very much, Ben and Ludwig. Don't forget, if you want to be part of the conversation, you can tweet us at econbizfin and at econeconomics. And you can find articles from both Ben and Ludwig on blockchain in the upcoming print issue of The Economist and on our website at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. 
Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.